We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hello, this is Cheryl Broderson. And Jasmine Allnut. And we're in studio for Women Worth Knowing. I enjoy this program so much. Me too. I love doing it. And we just found out our editor loves this show, too. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> but, you know, I was thinking about, like, my favorite part of it is discovery. I love discovering people I've never known before. Mm-hmm. And I did a woman last week that I'd never heard of before, Dr. Catherine Bushnell. Yes. And that was recommended to me by Michelle Uhl and uh, Robin Gunn. But they actually recommended she Mule. I'm going to use her anglicized name, which was actually Mary Stone. That was her anglicized name. Okay. But I'm going to talk about her today um, because stories have this way of intertwining. And I was thinking about Mm -hmm. as Christians, because we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord, you find yourself meeting someone that knows somebody else that you're really close to. And I find myself over and over again saying, oh my goodness, it's such a small world. We found a lot of connections with all of these. And even just if you guys might know, I mean, remember with those medical podcasts, all the people that went to Philadelphia Medical Women's College, that's it's right. like they were all there together. <laughs> and Elizabeth Blackwell has yes. been this inspiration. And yeah. then, you know, Ida Scudder, an inspiration. And that's the same thing with Dr. Uh, Catherine Bushnell. Even though when she went to China, she was there for three years, felt it was a waste. But you know what I forgot um, in the last podcast I did was to talk about that in the 1920s, she went back to China and started practicing medicine again um, before returning 11 years uh, later to Oakland, California in 1931, where she lived in Oakland until her death. And I found that was really, uh, really interesting because she continued to be an inspiration. She actually went back and worked at the pediatric hospital that she started. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Okay. So, but it was Catherine's life as a doctor and a missionary that had a profound effect upon a Methodist Chinese pastor in Qiongqing, China, which was where she established that pediatric hospital. Right. So this Methodist Chinese pastor was the first convert by the Methodist Episcopalian missionaries in central China. So this was the first person that got saved and he ends up becoming a Methodist uh, pastor. And he was so born again, and his wife also, that his wife sought a greater education Mm. and he sought to go into the ministry. And when they had daughters, they said, we're not binding their feet. We're absolutely not binding their feet. We're Christians. We're not going to do it. And we're going to defy culture. Now, they had a baby girl in 1863 named Shai Miu, but, uh, or Shi, S-H-I, I don't know how it's mm-hmm. pronounced in Chinese, but uh, later when she went to college, she called herself Mary. So I'm going to call her Mary sure. just for the sake of this podcast and for your ears. <laughs> but um, Mary's mother was also a Christian, and she was the principal of a Methodist school for girls. And um, Mary was often bullied because her parents didn't bind her feet. And one day when she was going to school, this girl, this bully girl stood in front of the door and said, hey, big feet, you're not allowed in here, you know, until you bow down and kiss my bound feet. Because, you know, binding the feet was considered a sign of... um, Honor, prestige? Prestige. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because then the women would have trouble doing for themselves and servants would have to do it for them. Right. Also, her mother insisted that um, Mary be taught the Chinese classics and Christian literature as well. 
Her father felt very strongly that Mary was to become a doctor like Catherine Bushnell. So he was so impressed with Catherine and what she had done in Cancun, where he lived, that he wanted his daughter to also do this. Was was Catherine still there or was this after her time? Well, she had probably come and she might have been back by this time. Um, Actually, no. It, she had only been there for three years because she didn't okay, go back so till the 1920s. The early, gotcha. And this is this is a you know she was born again in 1863. Um, sure. So okay. Catherine would have come and have been been gone. Okay. And so there was another girl at she's school or sorry Mary's school and her name was Cheng Kang. Now Cheng Kang is later going to change her name to Ida. <laughs> So I don't good. So I might go by Mary and Ida for the rest of sure, this just for that's you. Fine. <laughs> but she had been adopted by a missionary named Gertrude Howe. And her feet were also unbound. And it's perhaps why these girls became such close friends for life. Mm. It's because they shared the ridicule. Mm. And, you know, it's one thing if you decide I'm gonna be free and I want my children to grow up in this freedom, but you know, sometimes you realize that they're going to get the brunt of the choices you make. So at age um, nine, Ida was adopted by Gertrude Howe. She had been raised in a very, very poor home that really didn't want her, you know, because girls uh, weren't considered an asset. You know, boys, you could get them to work hard and and they could be traded for work and all these other things. Carry on the family name, yeah. But a girl. So after she was adro- adopted by Gertrude Howe, she traveled with Gertrude to San Francisco, Japan, Chongqing, China, and back to Kyungking. Now, I want to pause just a moment and talk about Gertrude Howe because Gertrude was this brilliant Christian woman who had disrupted her education at the University of Michigan to travel to China as a missionary. Now, she got most of her education, um, and she was supported by the Women's Foreign Missionary Society of the Methodist Episcopal Church. Hmm. So when Gertrude went to China, she opened to school for girls called Rulison Girls High School. And she insisted that only girls with unbound feet would be admitted. She also broke with missionary protocol and ran afoul of the WFMS when she adopted Chinese girls and even began to teach them English. So the Foreign Missionary Society didn't think that was a wise thing to do. You know, don't get too attached to your Ah. mission field. So she had, in her lifetime, I think she adopted uh, four or five little girls. So Ida, who, you know, Ching Kang, who was Mm -hmm. later Ida, was one of several Chinese girls, uh, sorry, that Gertrude adopted. I forgot. She adopted the four or five. And then she also adopted others who just needed support or a house to live in. Mm. In 1886, Gertrude accompanied both Mary and Ida to the United States and helped them enroll in the University of Michigan. At the university, the other students and professor had trouble pronouncing the young girls' names, so the girls chose anglicized names. And that's, that's where Chimio became Mary Stone and Chen Kang became Ida Khan. And it's interesting, I mean, they chose those names, right? So Mary and Ida were the first Chinese girls to receive medical degrees from the University of Michigan. They weren't the first um, Chinese women to receive medical degrees, not even the first Christian women to receive. Uh, I think that was yeah. Hu King Eng, who we did right. on a different podcast. That's yeah. right. That's right. So, um, after, wow, that's so good that you remembered that That name. was out of nowhere. I don't know where that came from. Because <laughs> I just saw that today in my reading, and I was like rehearsing that too. But that's so good. 
So, right, we had covered, I even have in my notes, we had covered Hu yeah. King Ying in a different episode. But after receiving their medical degrees, Mary and Ida returned to China. They were not sure how the Chinese people would receive them. You know, after all, they're, they've been educated in America. They're women who were, there was a lot of prejudice against women, as Catherine Bushnell had commented on. And uh, now they were doctors. Yeah, the feet are unbound. Yes, I mean. right. And who, who would want to come to them? But their ship was met with over 40,000 fireworks as the people <laughs> welcomed them back. In fact, the Chinese were overjoyed to have Chinese doctors. As an old Chinese peasant confided, we are afraid of foreigners, but you can understand our nature. Interesting. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So they served with the Women's Foreign Missionary Society of the Methodist Episcopal Church. They were only 24 years old, but they did not want to serve in an American hospital. So they set up a one-room hospital in Qingqing. In the first 10 months, first 10 months, right? They treated over 2,300 outpatients. Oh my gosh. And, and that's not even counting the people that stayed overnight right. or had operations in the hospital. And they made hundreds of house calls. By 1898, they were in negotiations with a prominent doctor in Chicago, Dr. Isaac Newton Danforth, about opening a Chinese-run hospital. Now, Dr. Isaac Newton was um, just brilliant. Um, he came up with a lot of patents, a lot of procedures that are still used today, wrote a lot of medical journals. And so he was really interested in doing something for his first wife, Elizabeth, who had died. He wanted to do something to honor her. She had loved uh, missions, kind of like mm. uh, the the man that Ida Scudder had worked with to start right. the hospital in India. Yeah. So they were in negotiations. However, something interrupted all of the plans for the hospital, and that was the Boxer Rebellion <sighs> in 1900. Yep. And in fact, in the Boxer Rebellion, Mary's father, who was a pastor, a Methodist mm -hmm. pastor, was killed. Mm. And Mary and Ida had to flee to Japan um, because it was... Uh, it had started in the north, moved to central, and though they were in the south, it started moving that yeah, way. Yeah, very And dangerous. it became very dangerous, especially for those who had been um, educated in America. Mm. So they returned in 1901, and with the help of Dr. Isaac Newton Danforth, opened the Elizabeth Skelton Danforth Hospital. And as I said, Elizabeth had been the first wife of Dr. Isaac Newton Danforth, he was the financial backing and impetus for this hospital. The hospital had 95 beds in 15 rooms. Isn't that, I mean, for them, wow. that was huge. Yeah, no, hey, that's <laughs> an upgrade, I'm sure, from mm -hmm. what they had before. And so every day, Mary insisted that the day begin with worship, mm. often with Mary leading it herself. She also um, insisted that her nurses were not only nursing the patients, but were evangelists, that they were praying for the patients, that they were ministering Love to the it. patient's spiritual needs. Um, during this time, she also became the first ordained female pastor in China. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> um, but she was just so into not only the patient's physical needs, but their spiritual needs. Now, at the hospital, she was not only in charge of patients, but she also had the oversight of the hospital. She also was in charge of training nurses, a promotion of uh, public hygiene. She was a proponent, so she's considered a social activist in China because she was a proponent of unbinding and prohibiting the foot binding of women. Mm. She also openly opposed 
alcohol, opium, and cigarettes openly. Wow. So she was part Great. of the Women's Christian uh, Temperance Union in China. In fact, she was the head of it in wow, China. Wow, that's awesome. And it covered more territory with the opium and it all. It did. That and, a, you know, yeah, perhaps it was some huge of problem. what she was introduced to in Michigan. And then when she came back, yeah. realized what it was doing. She also opened up the hospital as a haven for abused women and children. That cool. was part of it. And let them stay, even if they weren't sick, just let them stay mm-hmm. um, as protection. And mm-hmm. this is big in China. Mm-hmm. During the busy months, she saw and treated over 5,000 patients. Actually, it was herself and Ida at this right. time. But she also had oversight of training, as I said, the nurses. And she trained over 500 Chinese nurses. And she had to translate all the training manuals and textbooks from English into Chinese so these nurses could be trained. At the same time, she opened up and supervised a home for cripples and orphan boys. Now, Ida King served for two years at the Elizabeth Skelton Danforth Hospital before being invited by officials in Nengcheng to open up new hospitals. Well, Mm. this was an opportunity she couldn't refuse. And so the two friends who were very, very close um, were parted. Mm. And Ida moved to Nengcheng where she treated thousands of Chinese soldiers who were wounded during the revolution of 1911 and the Northern Expedition of 1926. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So mainly she worked with soldiers. And again, she was very much an evangelist. So those Chinese soldiers heard the gospel Mm -hmm. when they were being treated. I mean, it's just amazing. Wow. In 1908, so before... This hospital Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and those wars. Ida returned to the United States and studied at Northwestern University, where she received a bachelor's degree in literature. Um, She wanted to be a writer. And later she received an honorary master's degree from the University of Michigan, just that they recognized that she was an alumni and all Mm -hmm. she had done not only in medicine, medicine, but also in literature. Did did she want to quit medicine or she just wanted to do both? Okay, She wanted to do both and she felt like she needed this. Ida prioritized medical education. Mm. evangelistic work, and women's issues. She often went to ecumenical conferences as a delegate from China. She was one of the featured speakers at the Edinburgh World Missionary Conference in 1910, as well as attending a conference in Berlin the same year. So one of the reasons she went back is she wanted to um, have better skills because of all the opportunities that were opening up for her. She wrote this book, An Amazon in Cafe, in 1912 and numerous articles. Now, I couldn't find anything on that book at all. I searched the whole internet. Uh, Cathay was how Westerners often uh, referred to the Muslim world area of China Um, as Cathay. And so to the missionary community, King must have not been American enough to take into confidence. And the lack of trust must have felt like betrayal. And the missionaries, decided that she was so close to Gertrude Howe, because when she moved back and went to Nanking, uh, Gertrude was with her, mm-hmm. that when the missionaries decided to evacuate that area, they left her in China. They left Gertrude Howe, and wow. they left Ida Khan knowing that she wouldn't leave Gertrude, and because they wouldn't be separated. The American Council and the other missionaries chose to leave Howe behind rather than um, invite Ida Khan. Huh. Ida Khan described the experience. We woke up one morning to find that all our missionaries had left, apparently without sending one word to us. Strange. I can never describe the pain of that moment. Wow. So 
being left alone without the protection of the foreign community put Ida Khan and how in considerable danger. Other missionary hospitals were burned and looted. Chinese pastors suffered beatings and kidnappings. Nonetheless, Ida Khan remained in Nanjing. And while her home was never destroyed, soldiers invaded the compound, um, used her lawn as a drilling yard, and stripped her planted garden of all its fruit, took everything. Mm. She was harassed by the uh, Nationalist Army that she had once dined at her home and treated at her hospital. Those same soldiers were cruel to her. Officers um, often lectured her and her nurses, calling them the running dogs of the foreigners. Mm. Um, Ida Khan's nurses, however, refused to applaud, and Ida Khan herself stood up to defend herself, applying uh, Sun Yat-sen's three principles to their medical work, arguing that we are true nationals. For the next several years, even after Howe's death in 1928, Ida Khan protested vocally against the threat of the Chinese Communist Party. She kept warning everybody, like, this is dangerous. It was taking place in her province. And later, she warned people against the Japanese invasion in Manchuria. Mm. She wrote essays calling for aid from the international community, even as she struggled to maintain enough funding for her hospital. By the end of 1931, Ida Khan had Uh, fallen gravely ill. She had cancer in her stomach, which had spread down into her legs until one of her thigh bones broke. Mm. Others described a liver disease and kidney failure. It is clear that Ida Khan was in great deal of pain before her death. Still, she managed to treat others up until the very end, even being carried up and down stairs to visit patients. Oh my gosh. When Ida Khan realized that she was dying, she called her friend Mm. Mary Stone, who came at once to visit her. And the two sang hymns and other songs that they had learned as children. That's just like... Sweet. Yeah. So she died in 1930 in Shanghai at the age of 58. And she never, ever married. Right. Now... Are we ready to go back to Mary yeah, Stone? Right, but circling back here. Yes. So remember, they had come back, and mm-hmm. then Mary had had to flee to. Um, she'd come back. She was running the hospital. Well, when Ida left, the mm-hmm. Lord brought another missionary, an American missionary named Jenny Hughes, oh. into Mary Stone's life, and Jenny Hughes and Mary Stone became best friends for the next fifty years of their lives. Fifty. That's awesome. Next 50. And in 1907, Mary returned to the United States to have surgery, and Jenny went with her. And it was surgery for her appendix. Mm. Now, she used this time to raise funds for her work in China. And she received a scholarship to the John Hopkins University. Now, when she left, she Mm. left her sister, Phoebe, also called Anna. I'm not quite sure which one's (laughs) right, but she left her in charge of the hospital. And there might have been two sisters that each became doctors. Yeah, this is where it's really really hard to find information. I'm yeah. searching the whole internet and there's no book written. So I'm like, give me more information. Well, we have this with a lot of other people we've talked about, right, you right. know, the lack of documentation. So, yeah. So here she's called Phoebe and she takes okay. over Mary's duties. Now, before attending John Hopkins University, Mary and Jenny were traveling around the United States, as I said, uh, raising funds and awareness of the spiritual and medical needs in China. However, in 1915, they were driving in La Jolla when they were hit by a car, and they both had to um, be in the hospital. In 1918 to 1919, Mary went to John Hopkins University to learn to be a surgeon Mm. and to be a certified surgeon. 
when she came back to China, she began to do surgeries, but she was so tiny that she had to stand on a stool uh, to do her surgeries. In 1920, after a dispute with the Methodist Church in Kanking, um, and that was because they refused to pay Mary what she was worth. They paid Ginny, who was one of their missionaries, more money than they did Mary, who was doing all these surgeries. And Ginny and Mary yeah. were really upset about the discrepancy, and they felt there was prejudice against the Chinese. Absolutely, yeah. And so they moved to Shanghai, and they established the Shanghai Bethel Mission there. From 1920 until the Japanese invasion of 1937, Bethel Mission had established a hospital, schools, um, elementary, and high school and did evangelistic training, and they had an orphanage. Wow. They trained nurses from Bethel, were considered among the best. <laughs> During this time, Mary adopted and raised three boys. <laughs> By 1937, Shanghai had become too dangerous, so Mary and Ginny moved the Bethel mission to Hong Kong. Two years later, in 1939, Mary and Ginny had to move, and they went to the United States, and they moved to Pasadena, California, um, with their three adopted daughters, Mary, Grace and Norma. So Jenny Hughes died in 1951 at the age of 77 um, years. So Jenny again was her friend. Yeah, that's so sweet. And, and helped raise the girl or the boys. And mm -hmm. yeah. so they actually, you know, adopted those three daughters, brought them over to China, mm -hmm. yeah. but they also brought with them other Chinese girls just to for safety to get them out of sure. China because the situation was um, so dangerous. And of course, we know the communists yeah, came in and invaded. That's true. Mm -hmm. And then Mary died in Pasadena, California. Isn't it interesting? I mean, the six years before I was born, but huh. you're thinking, oh, she was so close. Yeah, she's right there where I was. Yes, yeah. in <laughs> Pasadena, but she died at 81 years old. Hmm. So it's just um, so interesting to read about these, these women. And as I said, it, it was so hard because... There wasn't a lot of information on these women. I, I probably read eight different articles. Well, just to try to <laughs> just pull it together. Piecing together yeah. as much as I could about yeah. these amazing women. Mm -hmm. But part of it was because they were um, Chinese. Mm -hmm. There's not that much information. Oh, sure, because they, you know, I'm sure, yeah, the Chinese men weren't exactly excited to document their history and everything they no. did. <laughs> and especially because, you know, it showed up, the Chinese men, they're the ones who opened the hospitals. But also one of the things uh, that I forgot to mention that Mary had done too, and Ida, is they raised up Bible women. And oh, they were I love the Bible women. really, really interested in raising up women because they felt like women could be more discreet and could get into more places than the men. And they felt like the women at times were even braver than right. the men and they could and they would share the gospel and they could be this great influence all over the country. That's true. You do hear a lot of that. If you read enough missionary biographies of China, it's the Bible, the Chinese Bible women were just phenomenal. They played such a critical role. So that's really neat. Yeah. yeah and we'll probably get to uh, some of these women later when we oh, get yeah. to, um, <laughs> well, when we get to Ginny Taylor and yep, Hudson Taylor's, yeah, wife and mother and yes. all the, yeah, all those family. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. Ginny Taylor was his second wife. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and yeah. we'll talk about his first wife too, because they were both amazing. Yes. And of course, his first <laughs> wife died. But, you know, you just see how all of these people are so interrelated because as I was, you know, doing this, I was realizing they would have been there about the time of Hudson Taylor. Right. And yeah. I was thinking, oh, Hudson Taylor wasn't a Methodist. 
but they would have, you know, crossed paths. And it was interesting, too, because Gertrude Howe and um, Ginny Hughes both felt that they should take on the Chinese costume. Mm. and dresses the Chinese. So yep. they did that, what was we would call an incarnate ministry yeah. and um, became like the Chinese to the Chinese, yeah. living among the men. Chinese. Right. I love that. I know it's, it is interesting that this is so random too, but as you were talking about the 1910 Edinburgh Missionary Conference, I was like, <gasps> William Borden was at that conference that time. And he was another missionary, which, you know, that's men worth knowing. But yes, it's just weird. Have, when you read these stories, you just see those overlapping things. It's like, oh my gosh, all these people were contemporaries. So yes, it, you, what the Lord and was you know, doing. I love it because these are our sisters in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're so inspirational. Like I become attached to them. Like yeah. I, I, I can't stop talking about Catherine. I've been talking to her, you know, all, uh, to anyone who will listen. I, I bought a book, God's Word to Women. I actually bought that oh. book, um, which is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And she just goes into the Greek and what the right Greek is. She goes into the Hebrew and the Old Testament. I've just been reading these different passages. But then as I was reading about Mary Stone and, and Ida Kunin, one of the comments that someone made about Mary Stone was one of her greatest achievements, even though she she took care of, you know, literally thousands in China, mm. um, helped so many women in China, worked against the opium trade. I mean, so many amazing things. They said one of her greatest attributes was she was such a loyal and beloved friend. Oh, that's so sweet. You yeah, know, and she was a beloved that. and loyal friend going right to Ida when yep. Ida was dying. Yep. And then again, we see that, you know, she and um, Jenny Hughes staying friends all of their life. Yeah, And I love that, too, because, you know, that Jenny Hughes, you know, originally from, um, she was also from Michigan, but here she is from Michigan, and she meets this doctor um, on the mission field, and they become best friends for 50 years. Yeah. Best friends. They travel together, right? They minister together. They evangelize together, and they just helped each other out and, you know, went different places. Mm -hmm. You know, so... It appears, though, that, and remember I said there was a mix-up with Anna and Phoebe, it looks like she might have had a sister, Anna, who died uh, within a few years, who also was a doctor, but died a few years um, after her father was killed, murdered in the Boxer Boxer Rebellion. Rebellion, And that's something else, too, because, you know, Jasmine are really familiar with the Boxer Rebellion. One of the people we'll be talking about in weeks to come is Rosalind Goforth, who was... Uh, she and her husband were um, in the Boxer Rebellion. I mean, almost yeah. murdered. Um, and God just kept rescuing them during the Boxer Rebellion. But, you know, again, they were there during the time of the go-forths yeah. of China. And, and actually, my mom is going to be doing a podcast on uh, another family that was in the Boxer Rebellion as well. Is that um, a the, thousand? The Glovers. Yeah, Thousand Miles of Miracle. The Glovers right. and, and Caroline Gates, who was with them. You know, right. So kind of highlighting their story. So, yeah, we will get to more on that. You'll oh. learn all about it. <laughs> you know, I think, though, that when you, when you grow up, um, when you began to discover missionaries, and I remember just discovering missionaries and going, where have you been all my life? <laughs> these brilliant, awesome women who have done these incredibly noble things. And that's why I love discovery. It's like, oh, another yeah. another amazing woman who just lived her life for Jesus Christ. And again, the women I talked about, whether it was Catherine or Mary or Gertrude mm. or Ida or Jenny, none of them married. All of them gave themselves fully to the Lord and to the ministry of the Lord and felt that they were more 
what do I want to say? More efficient. Yeah. You know, because of that. I mean, their whole lives were just about the Lord and, and about helping the Chinese people. Yeah. You know, helping their people. And they really wanted to pass on their skills and their ability to their own people and raise up the Chinese. And that's why it was so unfair when, you know, the nationalists were calling them, you know, unpatriotic because they had come they had done all that just to help the Chinese wow and so neat even circling back I was thinking how you mentioned a few minutes ago Catherine Bushnell and the fact that she thought that was a wasted time yes those first few years and look at the fruit exactly nothing is wasted what an encouragement to us isn't it anything that we're doing in our lives yes we think why is this for you know you know and that's why I love women worth knowing Mm -hmm. because we are talking about these women and I get so inspired yeah and I get and sometimes I feel like you know I haven't come far enough there's still (laughs) so much to do yes and you know so much green pasture to walk in and to go forward with Jesus. Uh, there's a song, you know, always higher, 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 mm. you know, and the Lord's always taking us on these adventures. I mean, life with Jesus is never boring. Boy, that's for sure. I think that's pretty clear <laughs> even yes. from what we just heard today. <laughs> right. So anyway, I want to thank you for joining us on this edition of Women Worth Knowing. And again, you might know a woman. Again, these women were um, suggested to me. Right. And I loved it. It was discovery. So if you have a woman worth knowing, um, or if you're a woman worth knowing, just give <laughs> us your testimony or the testimony, maybe your mom, sister, somebody that nobody else knows about, but you know their story. Will you let us know? Because we'd love to feature them on a future podcast. So this is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut saying thank you for joining us on another episode of Women Worth Knowing. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.